Yeah, thank God that, um, I guess in a way, because we couldn't pay the debt, uh, we, we kind of found ourselves bankrupt. Uh, but God took care of it, right? God took care of it all. Um, tonight, just to give you a heads up, we're going to finish the lesson a few weeks ago before the lectureship regarding uh, sorry. But before we do that, thank you for your attendance uh, and your desire to come and worship our God this evening. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Oh, great God, Heavenly Father, we are humbled by your matchless grace, and we thank you so very much for your great Son, Jesus, for your wonderful Holy Spirit, for the Godhead itself. We are so thankful that we are able to echo prayers in the heaven, and we know that you hear them. We say, hallowed be your great and amazing name as we separate you from the world, as you are separate from the world. Thank you for being in our lives and for touching us and blessing us as only you could and only you can. Please bless our worship this evening. We pray it will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight that we will keep our focus on Jesus, your great son, whom you so willingly sent to die on that cruel, cruel cross of Calvary, who died for us willingly because of the great love with which you have for us. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and thank thee. It be thy will. Amen. The, uh, the end game tonight, sorry. The part of sorry that we don't want to uh, skip over. That was the, where I kind of ended and I wanted to make sure I spent just a moment or two on that uh, this evening. But first of all, we recognize that Satan's objective in life is our destruction. And he'll go at any length length to get us all. He'll do whatever he has to do to get us. First Peter, please, chapter 5, in verse 8, has this illustration that um, it's an unforgettable moment if you ever are out in the, in the wilderness somewhere or, or wherever it may be, in any, any animal, but in particular a, a lion or, or something of that sort, is in hiding and, and unexpectedly, right, at least on your part, he, he jumps out to pounce on you. And you're, you're surprised and you're shocked and all of the things you trained for seem to go out of the window. Right? And, and you, you know, you're supposed to grab your firearm and then, but it doesn't always happen that way. And in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, God illustrates to us Satan. He says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And that passage has this, this ring to it. I usually don't tell you Greek words or Hebrew, but this one, I, I, I just has a ring to it. It's zeton taina katapia. And it's, it's to, the word doesn't mean to pounce and, and lick you. It means to crunch. Like the lion is, is almost like a hyena. He's crunching your bones, right? And he's eating you alive. And that's what the description is of 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, that when Satan jumps out to pounce on you, he's, he's literally eating us alive. But God rescues us. Our defense with God is be of sober spirit because the enemy's out there. Luke chapter 9, please. And like in the game, sorry, 
Satan wants us to fall backwards uh, so, so that in his mind, if you will, we cannot win. And Jesus doesn't want us to fall backwards. He wants us to fall forward, if that makes any sense, right? Do not allow Satan to cause you to travel backwards in your faith. Jesus has something to say about that. Luke 9 and verse 62. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking backwards, is fit for the kingdom of God. No one. You see. So in life, God wants us to move forward. Always moving forward, right? Every now and then we may have to retreat to regather ourselves. But he always wants us going forward in our walk of faith. Turn, please, to Hebrews chapter 10. He wants us to continue going forward and forward. And sometimes what it seems like for God's people is that we're going constantly and continually against the grain. Right? We're going against the grain of life, against the grain of the world. God says keep marching forward. Keep going against the grain. Keep falling forward. It's almost like uh, if any of you, you play football and you're, you're a running back or, or maybe a wide receiver, but you know the idea is keep your feet moving. Keep driving, right? Keep driving forwards in our lives. Hebrews 10 and verse 36. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrieks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So God is telling us, I don't want you to run from the enemy. I want you to stand. That's kind of scary sometimes, isn't it? I want you to stand up and I want you to fight. And if fighting means fight to your death, then I want you to fight to your death. But I do not want you to give your soul to Satan. I do not want you to shrink backwards in your faith. I want you to stare. And in verse 39, he says, But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. And that's what it's all about. It's about the souls of humanity. It's about our soul standing for Jesus living our lives in such a way so that at the end of it, we can honestly and truly say, even on our deathbed, I have no regret. I have no regret. All of us have done things that we we could say sorry about. Every one of us, right? But let's talk about this word sorry for just a moment. Think with me in the, with, with the mindset of repentance. Think with me with the, the mindset of godly sorrow. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians, please. Chapter, chapter 7. God wants us to be sorry for our sins that we've committed. But, but to the point of repentance. That's what God wants. That, that's what the goal is, right? The goal is we, we wake up, we begin our day, and life happens, right? We find ourselves uh, at times making um, poor decisions, choices. We live our lives in an ungodly way, whatever it is that's going on, just for the day, 
We give in, we give up. And then we come to our senses like the prodigal. And we wake up and we say, what was I thinking? And I realize I wasn't thinking. And so I have to humble myself before God. Let me ask you a question. You ever, you ever, you ever messed up? And, um, but then you just weren't sorry yet? You hadn't gotten to that point? You got to wait before you, to go to God until you get to that point of godly sorrow. Right? He says in, in verse 7, Paul in writing regarding the man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 who was sleeping with his father's wife who returned. I'll come back to that in a moment. In verse 9, it says, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God in order that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So there are two types of sorrow, right? And, and, and you can be sorrowful for something you've done because you got caught. Or you can be sorrowful because of something you've done because your heart has been pricked, right? And so we want to make sure that when we live our lives that we're sorrowful to the point of repentance because it pricks our hearts. And maybe, maybe it's time for many of us, for all of us, to drop down our knees and ask God to bring that sorrowful heart to us, right? So this young man... Uh, whatever his age may be, back to chapter chapter two, please, was was sleeping with his father's wife, and 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 it was a, it was a problem. There was a problem there, and uh, Paul dealt with it in First Corinthians chapter five. Well, in chapter chapter two of Second Corinthians, he comes back, and there was a responsibility placed upon the church. Verse five, it says, "But if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree." in order not to say too much to all of you. Sufficient for such a one is this punishment which was, which was inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him, lest somehow he, such a one be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. We don't want anyone to ever fall into the, the mindset of excessive sorrow sorrow because then they never come back right verse 8 wherefore i urge you to refrain reaffirm your love for him so it's almost like he never went away when you reaffirm your love you take it right back to the beginning and you help him or her to fall forward right it's interesting first corinthians please chapter six someone once said you you cannot change your past but you can ruin your present by worrying. <laughs> it's true. Falling forward. Falling forward in Christ Jesus. Verse 9. Here's the, here's the who, would have, who would have ever thought. <laughs> I like this one. Well, do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor infamous, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And so, all right, all these people you walk by, right? You don't talk to those folks. Why not? That reminds me of the homeless on the street. Why not talk to them about Jesus, right? The guy on your job, the lady on your job you think will never change? Why not talk to those people? Why not talk to the people that we categorize as the imperfect, right? Shouldn't we be looking at ourselves? Because you've got to love. You have to love, verse 11. And such were, past tense. Some of you, these are church members, right? They belong to the church, the Lord's church. Such were some of you, but, but something happened to their heart. Right? They, they changed. You were washed. You became baptized. You were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. And then you think about Paul. Philippians, please, chapter 3. And you go, you know, who wanted to talk to Paul? Ananias didn't even want to talk to Paul. You know, God said, I need you to go talk to Paul. Lord, I heard about that guy. Yes, but you need to go talk to him. Yeah, God, but I heard that he has letters from the governor, and, and this is his MO, and I know, but you need to go talk to him. Okay, God. And then Ananias, the obedient servant of God, goes to Saul, and we know the rest of the account. What if, what if Ananias refused? I know, we, we'd say, well, God would have sent someone else, but just think for a moment. What if Ananias had refused to go and talk to Saul. One of the greatest apostles known to man would have never come to Christ, right? Because sometimes we judge a book by its cover. You don't judge a book by its cover. You preach Jesus. You scatter the seed. I think he said that, right? Sow it without the sow. You just throw the seed out and let God do his work. God wants his children to fall forward. So Paul if you will, reading about him now in, to the Philippian church. When he writes, he says, down in verse, verse 12, Not that I've already obtained it, or I've already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward, to what lies ahead. And I think about Paul. Um, you know, he, he saw, and then he becomes Paul. And then um, he goes to visit a congregation. And, you know, at first the Bible tells us that, you know, it teaches us that he was, you know, it was, he had to be introduced to the church by Barnabas. And so they were very reluctant of him. But can you imagine being Paul? And you, and you get into a congregation, and then some of the men and women that you beat are there. Think about the awkwardness. And then, and then Stephen's mother is there. Think about the awkwardness. And Paul could have given up, but that's not what God wants us to do. God wants us to fall forward. No, Paul... You're going to have to keep on striving after righteousness and after good. 
And Paul says, I'm trying to get there, Lord. And in verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. Just, just keep on pressing forward, right? Keep on pressing forward. However, verse 16, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. And when we find ourselves falling backwards, we always have Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, right? That road map to heaven. Where do I need to change, Lord? It's all right there, all seven steps. And you just keep on going with Jesus and keep living. So the goal, Matthew 6, please. The goal of life is to make it home. Home is, is our heaven. Home is, is where God wants us to be. But that means there has to be an active lifestyle living and reaching for Jesus. Seeking God and not self. Oh, church, right? Seeking God and not self. Verse 33, uh, the Bible is clear, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and, and, and all these things, all the worries of life, all the stuff we think about every day, it'll all be taken care of, right? God tells us that. God promises us that. In John chapter 10, it's, it's interesting regarding sheep that he's talking about the church as we, as we place our, our foundation in our lives in Jesus, that on this earth, the church is base, right? Like in the game, sorry, you, you, it's the foundation point for us, church. Right? We need each other. It's, this is, if this, if this doesn't become the it in your life, God, if God is not number one, I know you hear people say this all the time. I, I hear it. I, I love God, but I hate the church. You can't do that. There's no, no, right? I'll have Jesus, but I won't have the, you can't do that. I know the church is not perfect. But this is base. Until we get to our true home. And I'll get there in a moment. In verse 27 of John, Chapter 10. Something important. James was talking about it a moment ago in our intro. Hearing God. Listening to God, right? Hearing God. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. And so that question is, am I, am I listening? Right? When I was um, introduced to the gospel, um, my first thought was, well, I'm not really ready to study and go to church because my philosophy, a learned philosophy, was church was for old people, <laughs> not for young, vibrant people like me. Not true, but it was a thought. It was an excuse. It kind of worked in a way, right? 
Why are all the old people going to church? Well, because they're closer to the deathbed than the young people. That's that was the that was it, right? I mean, just being honest. I mean, sorry, sorry, brother James. <laughs> like, ooh, brother James, I got some time. Um, you know, just kind of a skewed view of life, right? But the difference was, he was listening to Jesus, and I wasn't, right? I couldn't hear him. Because the streets, Proverbs chapter 1 and 2, tell us the streets are noisy, right? And the, and the, and, and the uh, wisdom, you know, they call us Sophia in the, in the Hebrew. Sophia calls out. She says, hey, listen to me. Because if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. And then it's just an amazing passage of Scripture to just go and read and think about and meditate on. My sheep hear my voice. That means in this text, they're, they're listening. They continue to listen. They continue to hear the voice of God. And when we stop listening to God, we're in trouble. And I give eternal life to them, for they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. And when he says, I give eternal life to them, see, the, the skewed view, oh yeah, well yeah, when we die, but that's not what Jesus describes as eternal life. Because in John seventeen three, he says to know the Father is eternal life. You do that while you're alive. Right now. You're in it. Right? In other words, what God is saying to us is that it's like we, we live in this life in the physical. We close our eyes in death and in a blink of an eye we wake up in eternity. You're already there. Keep marching with Jesus. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. My father, verse 29, who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. And so uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 9, please. Just don't reach your hand out and don't make yourself um, available for Satan to snatch you away. God will continue to protect his children throughout all the days of our lives. Jesus came. What an amazing thing. He came to clear our conscience. You know, a guilty conscience? You know, you, you know, you've done something you weren't supposed to do, and you, and you had that guilty conscience. And then, and then you, you, know, you go to God and make it right if you're a Christian. What if you're not a Christian? You had this guilty conscience. And I, and I love the way the, the proverb, uh, Solomon, he writes, and he says, you know, the, the wicked run when no one's chasing them. <laughs> right? Like, why are they running? Well, they think someone's chasing them. Why? Because they have a guilty conscience. Because they're guilty. Jesus came in Hebrews 9 and verse 13 to free us from that guilty conscience. Verse 13 says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And that is why we can continue to march forward. Because I've got a clear conscience. I don't claim perfection. You do not claim perfection. But I do have a clear conscience. And that's important. Right? Because of Jesus. 
Because I believe what Jesus said when he says what he says. I believe what he says. I believe what he said. If you come to me and surrender in the waters of baptism, I will wash your sins away. I believe what he said. I believe when he said, if you come to me in repentance and confession, I will remember your sins no more. I am faithful. I will forgive you. I believe that. And so you stay in prayer and confession and repentance, asking God's forgiveness to clear and free your conscience. So then when God comes back, although it may be uh, natural to jump on our knees real quick and try to say that prayer, <laughs> when God comes back, you'll be already prayed up. Right? Hebrews chapter 11, it describes that these men of faith were reaching forward to God. And they were reaching forward to this heavenly home of which they only had a glimpse. They didn't really understand. They, they, were, they were reaching forward to this, this city, this home, this world that, that we have more of a glimpse into than they ever had. And, and, and what a blessing that is. In verse 13, all of these died in faith without receiving the promise, the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's where our problem is, church. Some of us make the earth our base, our home. We don't want to go to heaven. You ever met someone in a church that says, I'm not really, I don't really want, if, I, if my spouse doesn't make it, I don't, I don't want to go. You ever had someone tell you that in the church? I have. That tells me how some members are thinking, right? I mean, there was a time that I didn't want to go to heaven, but I was in the world then. You know why I didn't want to go to heaven? Because I didn't want to go to church. That makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> right? I was ignorant. I was ignorant. But now there are some members of the church who don't want to go to heaven. Even knowing the truth of God's word and saying things like, if my spouse is not going to make it in, then I'll have no part in it. Not to say, well, you must not know Jesus. Not yet. These men did not make home their base. Earth, the earth was not their base. They remain in their hearts and in their minds, strangers and exiles. That's why preachers can say today, and they still do, and church members hate it. I'm not trying to save America. I'm trying to go home. This is not my base. Heaven is. They remained exiles and strangers. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. All right, let's close in Joshua 24. Joshua 
24, I know that you know exactly where I'm going. The fathers worshipped idol gods. And Abraham came out from that. And Joshua's challenging these people and saying, you know, um, are you able to serve this great, loving, and wonderful, magnificent God? Are you able to serve him? And earlier in his argument is, no, you can't serve him. You won't. You can't let go of idolatry. You, you can't let go of this world. So, so, no, I don't think you can serve this God. That's his earlier argument, if you will. And then he continues on in verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Sometimes we need a revival, right? We need something to kind of spark our energy and make us say, okay, let's stop for a moment. Let's put away everything that's keeping us away from God. Let's put away everything that's, that's causing my worship to be interrupted or distracted. Let me stop being a distraction. Let me just sit back and worship and honor and love and serve God. And then in my daily life, when I leave this building, let me have Jesus in my heart the Holy Spirit in my heart, God in my heart, as I live and let Him drive my life. Stand me up and help me to be what He wants me to be. Stop serving the gods that are keeping me out of heaven. What are they? Are they gods today? Yeah. Yeah, we're riddled with them. They're all over the place. They're in our homes. They're in our homes. They're in our pockets. We carry them. They're all over the place. Verse 15. And if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I wonder tonight if there are any who need to say to God, I'm sorry. If there are any tonight who need to contact someone to say, I'm sorry. To repent to the point of godly sorrow. I wonder if there are any tonight who would like to surrender to God in baptism. Tonight, we extend an opportunity to you. If we can be of service in any way, please come. While together, we stand and sing our song of invitation.